his testimony is at the beginning of this book. And if you, if, he grew up in a church that was very traditional. Traditional in the sense of you come in, sing two songs, sit down, uh, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, hear a sermon, go home. All of it within an hour. Okay, And that's the background that he came into. And so as a part of this band, he began to be awakened to what worship really is. And so he, he writes his testimony at the beginning of this book. There are copies available on the Welcome Center if you haven't gotten one. Our huddles are studying them uh, on Wednesday night, our small groups. And so if you are in a small group, the discussion questions for the next section were in your mailbox today. If you didn't get one, there's extras on the back. And so uh, we have been going through this series. And the beginning section of the book actually asks the question, what is worship? And so the first week of the series, we talked about what worship is, what it means. Last week, we talked about life is worship and how every part of our lives is supposed to connect with God. We tend to put God in a little box, just like every other box of our lives. Work is a box, and school is a box, and kids are a box, and my spouse is a box, and God is just another box. But God is not another box. He's actually the foundation that every box is supposed to touch. So worship is more than the song portion of a service. It's more than even singing songs to God. And so we've spent a a couple weeks, and we're going to spend more weeks, reminding us that worship is broader than what we define it as. But for today, we're going to take a step back because we can have a tendency to overemphasize worship in a worship service, but worship in a worship service is actually a viable part of worship. And so now that we've laid a foundation that it's not just singing, we're going to step back for a minute and remind us that it actually singing is an important part of worship. So just like we can't overemphasize it, we can't underemphasize it. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And I've entitled the message today, Be Present in Worship. Be present in worship. And there are these two extremes. Okay, on this extreme, worship is, we, we look at the, the worship service, the singing of songs, in a way that overemphasizes its importance. Okay, um, we actually say things like, hey, did God show up in church today? Do you ever wonder what that means or what that sounds like to someone that hears you say, did God show up? And you're like, well, I thought God was always there. Or God really moved today. What does that mean? And we use these phrases all the time, and I don't know that we think about what they mean. And sometimes they lead us to mistakenly associate an emotional response with the presence of God. But here's the thing, it's possible for you to be in a room and to sing a song that moves you, whatever style you prefer, that moves you and you have an emotional response and tears flow down your cheeks and not be encountering the presence of God at all. Because you can have that same response watching a Hallmark commercial. Am I right? You can have that same response listening to a love song because it reminds you of something. Music is powerful. And music can aid us in our encounter with God, but it does not define our encounter with God. And so what happens is, because of that extreme, to correct it, like all good Americans do, we go to the other extreme. And we completely downplay the emotional response, and we completely downplay what happens in the service. And so today, I want to hopefully find that balance to where it is, because worship is broader than the song portion of the service, but singing to God, 
and especially singing to God corporately, is an important expression of worship. So I want to start our conversation talking about what is God's presence. Because if we talk about his presence, we really felt his presence. His presence was in the service. We want more of your presence. There's nothing like your presence. And if we look into the scripture, sometimes we get this mistake. We think God's presence is a cloud. His presence is not a cloud. His presence came in a cloud, but his presence was not the cloud. Or we use the word the glory of God. But as I look at scripture, I don't believe the glory of God is the presence of God. The glory of God goes before him. And sometimes those intangible things that make us feel good or give us goosebumps or, you know, we we emphasize those, but those aren't the presence of God. In essence, they're the things that maybe lead to his presence. And so can the presence of God come? Can the presence of God leave? Is the presence of God an it? Because we refer to it as an it often. And so is the emotional encounter with God in a worship song his presence or is it leading us into his presence? You know, sort of like when we get ready to end a service, you know what we do? We bring the keyboard player up to, to play the Holy Spirit note. Because it's like the Holy Spirit comes when you play that note. You've heard it. You know, we do it in real spiritual places. One of my favorite, one of my favorite preachers is John Bevere. And one of the things I love that he has been doing in the last several years is at the end of the service, he doesn't want the, the musicians back. Because what we've now done is we've associated God's presence with the mmm. And people that leave, when they leave the building, they have no idea how to encounter God's presence because there's no keyboard player. And yeah, this aids us and helps us, and it's an important part, but it needs to find its place. In the book, Jeff gives us a quote by a guy by the name of Craig Keener, and this is what he says. If we must feel God's presence before we believe that he is with us, we reduce him to our ability to grasp him. Because the scripture actually talks about the presence of God in two different ways. The first way is the word omnipresence. That just means God is everywhere all the time. He is everywhere all the time. Look at a couple scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 23. Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Or in Psalm 139, when David's talking, saying, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So God is everywhere all the time. Whether you feel him, sense him, believe in him or not, he's there. Because remember last week you said, well, what about people who don't believe in God? What about atheists? Well, the word says it's in him we live and move and have our being. So if God removed himself from the life of an atheist, that atheist would no longer exist. So apparently God is not so offended with someone who says, I don't believe in you, to remove his presence from their lives because you can't breathe without his presence. And so he is everywhere all the time. So that should remind us that we should be as our level of offense towards people who sin or who are atheists should only be equal with God's. And I shall remind you that while you were his enemy, he died for you. So our level of offense should probably be way lower than it is. Don't get offended for God. 
I mean, if he's offended by someone to the point that he just walks away from them, you'll know it because they will cease to exist. And so that's the, the cool way of, of knowing. I don't know if it's cool or not. The other word for God's presence is, or the description is his manifest presence. Now, that's not a scary word or a religious word. It just means a tangible awareness of his presence. It's like he was here, but now I know he's here. You know what I mean? I mean, Jacob had that when he wrestled with God. I mean, he was laying there and he's like, you were here, but now I know you were here. Okay, God manifests himself or allows us to notice him in a way that we didn't. A couple scriptures from the Old Testament, the cloud that covered the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. Again, the cloud and the glory was not the presence of God. It shielded them from the presence of God because if you see the presence of God, you die in your sinful state. And so he shielded them from that, and he covered it with a cloud and with a glory. That also happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, when, they're going, when, they rebuild the, when Solomon builds the temple, and the priests are getting everything ready, then they sing that God is good, his faithful love endures forever, and then at that moment, the thick cloud filled the temple, and the priests could no longer do their, their duties because of that. And some of you are saying, well, but those are Old Testament. That's not how God moves in the New Testament. Well, what about in Luke chapter 5? In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus is in a town and there are people coming to him, it says the power of God was present to heal the sick. So what was so special about that moment that made the presence of God more manifest than in other places? What about the bright light that saw Saul? What, what about John's revelation of Jesus? What about the manifestations throughout the entire book of Acts where all of a sudden people just became more aware that God was there. He didn't actually become more in that place. We just became more aware of him in the book of Acts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 talk about the manifestations of the Spirit. Here's the thing. The Spirit of God lives in us. The moment we come to faith in Christ, his Spirit lives in us. But the Spirit shows up, manifests in different ways at different times. And in the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as he sees fit, he chooses to manifest himself. But he's not going to manifest himself by twisting your arm and putting it behind your back and shoving you somewhere. He's going to whisper in your ear, hey, do this, say this, ask that person this question. And as you begin to do that, his presence begins to manifest in that relationship or that situation. That's why we encourage you in this worship service to begin to do what you feel like the Holy Spirit leading you to do. So you can practice on people that aren't going to look at you like you're nuts. Well, some people might, but what a great safe place to practice the Holy Spirit talking. So that when I go out there with people that are going to be less forgiving or should be less forgiving because they don't have Jesus then, then I, I'm, I have more confidence. Now, if you're waiting till you're absolutely certain, you're never going. I mean, it's just not going to happen. At least it's never happened in my experience or anyone I've ever heard testify. There's always a sense of, I don't know. And the only way you know is to look back and see what God did. That's the only way we're going to know. So God's presence is not in the music. It's not in our church buildings. It's not something that we need to come here and lure into our worship service. His presence is his person. 
And his person, his spirit, lives inside of us. It's not a cloud. It's not his glory. And we have to be careful that we're not seeking an experience with the things that surround him. I mean, I love it too when, we, when God manifests himself and I feel good or I get goosebumps or, you know, I just know he's in the room. I mean, I love that too, but I don't want to be hindered when I don't feel that or sense that. I want to live the same in or out of the manifest presence of God because he's always fully present. It's his omnipresence. So instead of asking today when we leave, hey, did God show up? I want us to leave here asking the question, did we show up? Were we present in worship? Because he is, whether you feel him right now or not, he's here. And whether you are going to, your encounter with him is fully dependent on you responding to his invitation. You say, well, Pastor Tom, what invitation is that? Well, let's look at two of them. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Hebrews 4, 16, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, if his presence resides in you, why do you need to enter in? What you need to do is to engage yourself with him. Do you know it's possible for you to be in the room with someone but not be in their presence? Mm-hmm, you know. Two people sitting at a table having a romantic dinner with cell phones. Yeah, you're in each other's presence, but you're not present. Some of you are looking at your devices now. What you looking at? I mean, we're not looking up a scripture yet. Are you present in worship? You know, I know that we really want to get the video of the worship team out on Instagram and Snapchat, and we really want to do some of that stuff. But why? Just be present with him. Maybe your lack of encounter doesn't have anything to do with the people up here. Maybe your lack of encounter has a whole lot to do with whether or not you're present in his presence. And you can encounter him the same way we do in this room, out there too. You just need to learn to live present in his presence. In order for that to happen, spiritual disciplines are necessary. I know, the word, I, I just said the four-letter word discipline. <laughs> we don't like disciplines, but they are important. The danger of spiritual disciplines is that they can easily become the end. You know, I've read my Bible, I've done my checklist, I've done my spiritual disciplines, but they are not an end in themselves. Spiritual disciplines are the means to the end. Spiritual disciplines are meant to help us encounter God. See, look, we don't read the Word of God to know the Word of God. That's not why we read it. We read the Word of God to know the God of the Word. It's not just about your checklist. It's not just about his word getting in you. It's so you can understand who he is. You can have a fuller relationship with him based on truth. Not on what you feel. Not on what someone told you growing up. What his word says. This is why he came to reveal himself. This is why he sent his son. So you wouldn't have to scratch your head and say, well, I, I just feel like God is this. If it goes against who Jesus was and it goes against this book, it's not who God is. And that leads us into a greater encounter with him. When we pray, we don't just pray to get what we need from God. Prayer is not just the means of acquiring what I need. It's acquiring who I need. 
who I need. I don't just need a healing. I want a relationship with the healer. Because when the healer comes, he heals. I mean, a healing is a momentary thing that happens. I'm not saying I don't want a healing, but I would much rather have the healer. I don't want the provision. I want the provider. I want a relationship with him. So prayer isn't just me bringing my to-do list to him. It's coming to know him. And as I come to know him, I even know what to pray for better. I know how to partner with him so that his kingdom comes and his will is done. So we need to engage ourselves with this invitation to come. We don't have to come into this room and beg him to come. We just have to come present. He's here. He's all ready to come. We need to engage ourselves in that relationship. Music is a tool to help us encounter him in that process. Music is a tool that we use because when you walk in this room, I know you don't walk in this room on Sunday morning like, woohoo, victorious. You walk in this room carrying the weight of the world. Some of you aren't getting a paycheck and you don't know when you're going to start getting a paycheck. Some of you are, are on the verge of really losing your job, not just on a furlough with the promise of back pay. You don't have any source of income. And you'd love to have that, that promise that you're going to get something sometime. I mean, some of you are carrying the weight of the world. You've got unsaved loved ones. You've, you've got people that are sick in your life. And we know, and so music helps to engage our hearts. And so it is important. Singing is important. Okay, there's so much in the Bible that talks about singing, but we're not going to look at the Psalms because we know that the Psalms are loaded. I mean, by very nature of the word Psalms, it's loaded with it. But let's look at a couple other places that we see singing in the Scripture. In Judges chapter 5, listen, you kings, pay attention, you mighty rulers, for I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. What's that about? Hey, kings, mighty rulers, listen, I'm about to sing to the Lord. All right, cool, a concert. Is that what he's talking about? I'm about to perform a concert? No, see, singing is way more than just words. Singing is way more than just, you know, well, if I feel like engaging. We don't understand the power that is attached to singing. Okay, look at Isaiah chapter 12. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Yeah, he hasn't done everything you wanted when you wanted it, but he has done some wonderful things. Make his praise known around the world. Are we doing that? Are we making his praise known, or are we making our criticisms and our complaints known around the world? Declare the praises of who God is. Jeremiah chapter 20, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. For though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. Maybe you need to start singing over our government. Amen. That might work more than your Facebook post. I mean, for those of you that are still in la-la land that think you got the right Facebook post to just make it all better, <laughs> you're, yeah, whatever, I need to keep moving. Zephaniah chapter 3. Don't worry, I'm guilty of it too at times, but I'm learning it's better to just sing. Zephaniah 3, 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion. That's just another name for Israel. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. These are just a sampling, but what I want you to understand is it's not just a time filler. 
I mean, God didn't just tell his people to sing because, hey, you got nothing else to do, so why don't you sing to me? I mean, that'd be a cool way to start your worship services. Singing is profound and powerful, and it's not just in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit. I will sing in words I understand. Do you, why? Why? I mean, I know a couple times in the New Testament, we're told to pray in the Spirit. And for those of you that you don't understand, well, why do I need to pray in tongues? Why do I need to pray in the Spirit? I want you to think of it this way. If you want to be intimate with someone who doesn't speak your language, you speak English, they speak Spanish. I mean, you can try to understand each other a little bit, but when you actually get to know their language, you can get become more intimate with them. And when you learn the language of the Spirit, now he speaks English too, but when you learn his language, Paul says this all through 1 Corinthians 12, when I pray in the Spirit, my mind has no idea what I'm praying. But as Americans, we find that offensive. Well, if my mind is unfruitful, why would I do it? But Paul says, my spirit is blessed, it's encouraged, it's built up. And so obviously there's a benefit to praying in the spirit. And obviously for those of you that are like, amen, pray in the spirit. When's the last time you sung in the spirit? Because apparently there's something, I mean, Paul said, this is what I do. I mean, do you ever read the scripture and think, man, Paul really had some encounters with God that were so amazing. I wonder if I could ever have those encounters. Oh no, that was just for Paul. God doesn't want to reveal himself to you the same way that he does Paul because he loves Paul more. That's a lie. That's why we're singing over lies and over fear, declaring the truth today. Because God wants you to know him. And singing aids in that. Ephesians chapter 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And don't just sing in the Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. James chapter 5, are you suffering hardships? You should pray. Isn't that interesting? You should pray. Somehow I feel like I would not be a very good pastor if someone came in and told me all their hardships and I just said, you should pray. But somehow James is wise and speaks the words of God. But when other people tell you, you should pray, or I should pray with you, let's pray. I mean, no, I, I need some advice. Well, I ain't got none for you, so let's pray. <laughs> Maybe the Spirit will help. I mean, so anyway, are you happy? You should sing songs of praise. Are you happy? Sing praises. Look at Acts chapter 16. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in the, in the church where the believers were gathered. Oh, no, 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 no. They were in prison and not an American prison. They were in the inner part, the darkest, wettest, dampest, human feces smelling area of the prison. And in that place, I mean, some of us, we can't come into a nice, comfortable, cushy place and just sing a song. And they sang. And look what happens. Suddenly, there's a massive earthquake. Well, that was just a coincidence. All the doors immediately flew open. Coincidence. The chains of every prisoner fell off. Not the ones who were singing. Every prisoner. Look at the power of singing. And we're, we come into a room and, I don't like that song. I don't like the worship leader. I don't like the temperature. And you know, and we're just taking the power and just going, Poop, I don't need that. I just want to leave the same way I came. Same problems I've had. Same everything. 
I'm not angry. I'm not frustrated. I'm like, dude, there is so much power in singing, and some of us can't see it. We're so, we, what's right here? You know what you need to do? Look around it. Put it away. Get it out of your mind. I mean, there's power in this. And I'm not saying if you sing one song, everything's going to change. You might need to sing a thousand songs. Jeff in the book gives us six statements that I'm just going to give you, and I'm going to talk a little bit about them. And if you want to know more, you can, uh, there's copies of the book. You can read it yourself. Um, but I'm not going to take a long time on each one. But the first thing that he, he reminds us about the profound nature of singing one, singing is a command. And now I know as Americans, the moment we throw the word command out, we're all ticked off. Ain't nobody telling me what to do. Here's the thing. If your creator commands you to do something, he knows it's good for you. God is not an egomaniac that needs you to praise him. He knows that if you praise him, there's actually a benefit for you. And we're going to talk about that in later weeks. But his commands are not burdensome. They are actually beneficial. And so if you believe that any command of God is a burden, you need to actually get into the presence of God so you can learn that it's not a burden. It's actually a benefit for you. And it would be your best interest to actually obey what he says. Worship is our benefit. So Singing is a command. If you need more, <laughs> singing is a tool that we use to aid our connection with the truth. I mean, you know, we do this in our daily lives all the time. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. I mean, we, we know that if you put something to a song, it helps people learn. We talked about during our Christmas season, the 12 days of Christmas was actually a song written by the church to help people learn biblical truths. So they set it to song because they didn't have paper Bibles to send home with everybody. So if you put something to song, you know the 12 apostles' names because you learned the song in Sunday school. There were 12 disciples. Jesus called. Yeah, see, you know it. Singing helps aid our memory of the truth. I mean, sometimes when you feel like, man, I feel like I'm all alone. I am not alone. I am not alone. I mean, the song pops into your head. It just reminds you of what is true, and it engages the hearts, the mind, the emotion. Singing helps strengthen our faith. There's something about my ears hearing my mouth declare what is true. Some of you just need your ears to hear your mouth declare something other than blah. And by yeah, I just mean how terrible your life is. Start praising God over your life. I mean, the worst thing that can happen to you is you die. And some of us are so afraid of dying. Why? That's the entrance. Why would you be afraid of it? The only reason I don't want to die is because I don't want to put my family in a hardship. But here's what I know. If I die, he's got them. He's got them. I don't need to be afraid of it. It, it increases our faith. It strengthens our faith. Look at this. Singing destroys the enemy. Now, I have to at least give us one scripture. Because this is one of my favorite Old Testament stories, and I want it to become one of your favorites. Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. I mean, they're, they're surrounded. It's, it's not even close. And the Lord says, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. The battle is not yours, but God's. So the king gets this great plan. 
the singers are going to walk ahead of us and we're going to shoot from behind them. <laughs> no, that's not really what, what happened. <laughs> but we're going to use them as human shields. But if you're the worship team, you're like, dude, I don't think I should go first. <laughs> but they're going to be singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Did they just sing it once? Did they sing it over and over and over and over and over and over? I mean, we, I, we sometimes get wordy with songs, and we want to sing all these songs. Just sing what's true over and over. I mean, you're not heard because of your vain repetition, but you are heard because of your faith-filled repetition. Okay? I mean, you've got to understand there are spiritual forces at work in our lives. And God here used people singing to actually physically destroy an army. I know, I didn't tell you yet, but let's do it. At that very moment that they began to sing and give praise to the Lord, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, three nations, to start fighting among themselves. By the time Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies. Not one single enemy. Now, if God could do that for a physical situation, in our lives, we don't have physical enemies. You're like, oh, I beg to differ. <laughs> no, the truth is we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are not our enemies. We, we, the left is not our enemy. The right is not our enemy. Homosexuals are not our enemy. People that hate God are not our enemy. We have an enemy we do not wrestle with those things. We wrestle with principalities and powers and spiritual forces. And if you would start singing over that, Psalm 149 says that the people of God use the praises of God to execute vengeance on his enemies. I mean, when we sing together and we start praising God in this room, do you know what we're doing? We're actually doing battle over the spiritual forces that rest on this city. Yeah, there are spiritual forces at work today in our city. There are spiritual forces at work in your families. There are spiritual forces at work in your own life. I just, yeah, I, and I know it's hard. Let me tell you, I just went through the last, the last week of my life has been so, so hard. I fought discouragement. I fought all kinds of things. And I mean, I knew better. And I kept telling myself, I know it was like I knew what was going on. And it was like my brain was like, I don't care. And I talked to someone yesterday who called me because I had tried to call him. And he's like, so what do you need from me? I said, I, today I don't need anything. And I probably didn't need anything from you back then either. And that's probably why the Lord said, don't answer your phone. <laughs> because what I needed was him. I needed to bring him into that. But I didn't feel like singing. I knew how to get out of it. I didn't want to get out of it. Do you, anybody relate to that? I mean, I just like my little pity party for today. <laughs> and so, I mean, I kind of did want to get out of it but not the way I knew I had to get out of it. There's a battle going on, and singing destroys our enemies. Singing also builds community. Singing builds community. Is that clock right? Man, I am way ahead of schedule. Thank you, Jesus. All right, singing builds community. Um, all of the disciplines of our faith that we can do, singing is one where we are like totally in unison. 
I mean, I know we could read the Bible out loud, but generally we got different versions. And, but when we're all singing the same song, and what if all of us in this room singing the same word actually battles against the forces that try to promote disunity in a body and actually strengthen the unity of the body? What if that happens? But what if it takes every single person in the room singing? You ever see Elf? You ever see the movie Elf? If you haven't seen the movie Elf, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. See, for those of you that thought you couldn't get biblical truth out of a movie, you're just fooling yourself. The best way to spread, the best, best way to spread the, the cheer of God is singing loud for all to hear. I mean, do you have any idea how many people every day of my life say, you're always singing? Yep, sorry. And even when it's not, I mean, it's not always a song of praise to God. Sometimes I just make up songs. <laughs> my kids love me. That's what dads do. But singing loud for all to hear. So they're all singing because Santa's sleigh won't fly because the believe meter's too low. So they try to get everyone to start believing and start singing. But the only one not singing is the grumpy father. Some of you know, you've seen it. The grumpy father. And he's, his son looks at him and says, you're not singing. And so he just belts it out. And as soon as he does, Santa's sleigh goes, boom. I can't say, here's the chapter and verse that when everyone in the room puts down all of their offenses and puts down all of their disagreements and they just sing in one voice unto the Lord, that God unifies and strengthens the body and actually tears down the things that the enemy's trying to use to destroy. I can't prove it, but I bet it's there. Because he did it in the Old Testament when they sang in one voice, in one voice. It builds community. The last one is that singing is modeled by God himself. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Do you know that our Father sings over you? He sings. Why does he command us to sing? Because he sings. Because he knows all of these other things about singing. He commands you to sing because he knows what's going to come if you keep going down that road. You're not singing for the people up here. You're not singing for me because here's the thing. In a few moments, we're going to sing. And whether you sing or not, I'm going to sing because I need to sing. You need me to sing. People out there need me to sing. And I'm going to sing with all of my heart. And here's the thing. There's a song in the set. It's a new song. And I don't know it. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sing something. I'm going to sing something. I don't care if I know it. Somebody are like, I have to see all the words. No, you don't. You don't have to see any words. Close your eyes. Just sing. You know, singing in heaven. Have you ever read, read through Revelation to see how much singing happens in heaven? It's like the one thing we're going to take with us. And there's a lot of stuff we're not taking with us, thank God. But we're going to take singing with us. One passage of scripture from Revelation chapter 5, and then we're going to bring the worship team. One place in the scripture where singing is mentioned in Revelation. When he took the scroll, Jesus, 
The four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I love how some things in Revelation, we don't know what that means. And some things that obviously are important, uh, we're told what that means. So for those of you that think, why should I pray? Because there are bowls in heaven filled with your prayers. And how many of those bowls are poured out in the book of Revelation when they get filled up? Why do we pray over and over and over and over and over? Apparently there's a bowl in heaven that has to get full and then it gets poured out. I don't know. I don't know why. I just know that my God has commanded me to pray and not give up. So I'm going to do it. And he even gives us places right here where we understand it and we, we still don't want to do it. Anyway, and they sang, they sang a new song with these words. And I didn't put what the words were because then it wouldn't be a new song because <laughs> you would know what it was. They sang a new song. Just sing whatever's in your heart. I mean, don't belt it out so that you distract everyone around you, but sing it. Just sing what's in your heart to God. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus. And I didn't put what they sang either. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea. And they sang. See, before the throne of God, they're singing all the time. All the time. The harp and bowl is actually something in our society today that IHOP has kind of made it popular. Where you take the scripture, or you take a prayer, and you just begin to sing it. You sing your prayer. Why would you sing your prayer? I don't know. Why would you sing in the Spirit? Because evidently there's some level of power that comes with singing. So where does it, when when am I praying? When am I praising? When am I worshiping? When am I praising? When am I praying? When am I worshiping? When am I singing? When am I, who cares? Just engage with this prayer. I mean, we're all into defining the terms. I don't know where one starts and one ends or one begins and one, just do it. And do you know what we are most guilty of? We have become the hallmark generation. In other words, if there's not something on a screen or some on a page in front of me, I don't know what to say. How many of you that are married only ever speak to your spouse in hallmark card verse? If you do, come see me now because you're headed for a lot of problems. I mean, you don't. You, I mean, well, I can't articulate what's inside of me the same way that the card does. Who cares? It probably means more to your spouse when you just articulate what's in your heart, not what some other guy wrote. And yet we do it to God all the time. No, nothing wrong with songs that people sing. Our hearts connect with them. But if I don't know it or I don't like it, I just connect another way. Because every one of us in this room prefers something different. Some of y'all like rap. We ain't quite there yet. <laughs> but by the way, I had an experience. I have a few. Worship team, why don't you come? I'll tell you my story. But the worship team can come and get ready while I'll tell you my story. I went to James Valley not, not long ago, a couple weeks ago. And I had to drop something off. Someone forgot it. And it was a Friday. And I wasn't really dressed. I mean, I, I was dressed. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I was kind of dressed down. I was wearing a ball cap and, you know, just... I wasn't planning to stay. 
But I felt like the, the Lord said, um, you know, you should, go to, you should go to chapel. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go into chapel like this. I didn't even comb my hair today. I just put a hat on. I'm not taking my hat off. And so what I did is I went in the gymnasium and I stood on the other side of the wall and uh, listened to the worship and I worshiped with them and then I prayed and I didn't know who the speaker was so I prayed over the speaker and I prayed for them and, um, and then the speaker started and it was a young man and uh, I, just, I love him. I, in fact, he sang last night at Snowflakes and Sweets and I texted him after and said, every time you sing and every time you preach, there's just a genuineness so keep your heart soft. And uh, it just, it, there really is. It just oozes out of him. And uh, so I'm listening to him speak and I'm like, it's so good. And I had, to, I had to leave then, and I didn't get to the end. But then my daughter is in the bathroom the next day getting ready for a basketball game, and she's listening to some, like, rap song. And I'm like, what is she listening to, and why is it so loud? And so I'm like, what are you listening to? And she told me. And uh, she's like, this is, what, this is the song that this, this kid talked about in chapel yesterday. I'm like, oh, I must have left for that part. So she's like, you should listen to it. So I'm about to go for a run, and I usually listen to sermons when I run, but I'm like, I'll listen to this. It's a spoken word. So I'm like, maybe it's good. And so uh, I'm listening to the spoken word while I'm just getting ready to go. And I'm like, this is good. I mean, it's, it's like profound truth good. And uh, so I'm like, maybe I should just listen to the whole album. I listen to the whole album. Rap music. Well, it's actually kind of like hip hop slash rap sort of stuff. But still, it's not my genre at all. And I listened to it like four times that day. And I've listened to it since. And I'm actually tempted to use it as like a song in our service because it's profound. And here, here's the thing. Most of us in this room that are like 35 and up are going to be like, Pastor, what are you doing? But can I ask you something? Are we more concerned about 35 and up or 35 and down? Declare my praises to the next generation. And some of us are so hung up on our style and yet the, the generation down here needs their style of music to connect their hearts with what is true, and we're fighting over what style. Most of us 35 and up who have been walking with the Lord, we know where we're going, and we're going to get there. I'm a little concerned for 35 and down because we're not connecting with them at all because the church is the one organization on this planet that refuses to change to meet the needs of the culture. Not change the truth of this book, but change our preference to try to reach that generation, to try to get them to encounter God. Well, they could encounter God through anything. Well, so could I, and so could you. I encountered God through rap music. I didn't know what to do with that. I mean, I'm literally, there were times I was crying, and I'm like, how? It's a rap song. I wasn't crying because my ears were hurting. <laughs> Although, maybe. So I hope you, this is so profound and so important. There's so much attached to singing. And so we've got 30 minutes and we're going to sing. And so I want you to stand. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to declare who God is. We're going to fight battles. We're, our prayer team is going to be here in the front. And if, if at any point you need prayer for something, you can come and ask us. We'll agree in prayer for you for anything you need. If you want to come and kneel here in the front, maybe you want to worship here. Maybe you want to just come and, and worship up here. Because here's the thing. It's easy to get distracted back there. Maybe you want to come up here. Maybe you just want to press in to know him. 
Pastor Mark is our ministry moments leader. If you feel like the spirit prompts you to do something and you don't know how to handle that or don't know what to do, come find him. He'll give you some direction. He'll help you know where that's gonna fit in the service. But we just wanna engage our hearts with him. And so Father, today, right now, we're here for you. We're here for you. God, we know that you're already here. We know that you live inside of us. We know that you came with us. God, we wanna be fully present in your presence today. We want to be fully present in worship. God, we've already worshiped you in our giving. We've already worshiped you in, in truth. We've already worshiped you in so many different ways today. But God, now we want to worship you in song. Holy Spirit, we want you to help us to engage with you. We want you to have full reign over our lives. You want us to minister to one another. You want us to, to step out of our seat. You want us to make a phone call. You want us to, to write a note to someone. Whatever you want us to do, we're just going to fix our attention on you right now. But whatever you have, we're available. We're here. We're fully engaged with you. Help us to be even more fully engaged with you in this moment right now. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in this room. I ask it in Jesus' name.